0: Thank you so much for that prayer this morning, John. I appreciate it. Just want to make one quick announcement this morning. And that is that our flag ceremony for our missions conference is only a month away. And we would love to have as many of you as possible participate in that flag ceremony. So if you are so inclined to do so... Um, We'd love to have you sign up, and one of the ways you can sign up is there is a table in the foyer today where you can uh, sign up for that. So just wanted to mention that this morning. Well, this morning we begin a brand new sermon series. A few weeks ago, I ended our series on the attributes of God, and then, of course, last Sunday was Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And we had a special speaker, Scott Klusendorf, with us. And this morning we begin a new series on the book of Hebrews. I am going to be preaching section by section through the book of Hebrews. And so this morning we will look at the first section, and by way of this first section, use it as an introduction. So this morning we will be looking at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, with a special emphasis on the first three verses. Hebrews 1 through 4, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, and this is what it says. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Well, our first point this morning is the book of Hebrews. And before we get into our outline, I want to mention a couple of basic things about the book of Hebrews. First of all, we do not know who wrote the book of Hebrews. There is nothing in the book of Hebrews that clearly indicates who the human author is. And yet, over the years... Over the last 2,000 years, there has been great speculation about who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some speculate that it is the Apostle Paul. Some speculate it may have been one of his companions like Apollos or Barnabas. But actually, we don't know. Now, I have heard pastors say in the past that they have a good idea who really wrote this. And when they tell you that, they are merely speculating. Because if you really delve into conservative biblical scholarship, the consensus is no one knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. And in a sense, for us, a very important sense that doesn't matter. Because every single word of the book of Hebrews is inspired by the Holy Spirit and is completely inerrant regardless of who the author is. Now, we also don't know specifically whom the audience of the book of Hebrews is. It doesn't tell us like it isn't the church at Colossae, it isn't the church at Philippi, or the church at Ephesus. We don't know. It appears to have been... Intended to be a circular letter that was written to all kinds of different Christians. Now, even though we don't know who the audience is, we do know a couple of things about the people to whom this was originally written. First of all, as we will see as we work through Hebrews, they were going through some very severe and significant trials. Secondly... Perhaps more so, maybe with the exception of the Gospel of Matthew, Hebrews has more references to the Old Testament than almost any other place in the New Testament. So, we do know that those who first received this probably had a fairly good grasp of the Old Testament when this was originally written. So, I want to, right off, give you the theme of the book of Hebrews. I want to give you the big picture into which all of the chapters and all of the verses will fit. So here is the theme of the book of Hebrews. Jesus Christ is superior to everyone and everything, including anything the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, provided. Okay, let me just say that again, and I will probably repeat it as we go throughout uh, this study of this book. Jesus Christ is superior to everyone and everything, including anything the Old Testament, the Old Covenant provided. And so that's what we're going to see as we work through the book of Hebrews. It is superior to this and to this and to this. Our Jesus is superior to this and to this and to this. Jesus is superior to the angels. In verse 4, jump down to verse 4. It says, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now that's going to be the subject of the sermon next Sunday morning. That will be verses 4 through 14. So we're going to really focus on the first three verses, but I just wanted to mention that briefly this morning. So Jesus, we see in Hebrews, is superior to the angels. We will see that Jesus is superior to Moses. We will see that Jesus is superior to the Mosaic covenant. We will see that Jesus is superior to the earthly tabernacle, the earthly temple. We will see that Jesus is superior to the Levitical priesthood. So we are going to see that Jesus is superior to anything and everything. Now, right away in the book, the writer of Hebrews tells us, in the past, God spoke many times and in many ways. Verse 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, is a reference to the Torah, or what we refer to today as the Old Testament. Now, I don't want, I don't want you to miss the little phrase, God spoke. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke. I think that is a phrase that we just take for granted today because we have so many English translations of the Bible. We have so many copies of the Bible, but let us never lose the awe and wonder of the fact that the infinite personal God of heaven and earth is a God who speaks. I think of Francis Schaeffer's classic book. He is there and he is not silent. Our God is not a silent God. We don't have to wonder what he's like. He has revealed himself to us in his word. We know what he is like. We know who he is. We know how we come to him in salvation through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We know how to walk with him and talk with him. To communicate with him. Let us be thankful this morning. That our God is a God who speaks. A God who communicates. We can know him. In a very personal and real way. So that means that long ago at many times in many ways. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That means for us. That the Old Testament is not a collection of the ancient wisdom of men. But the Old Testament is the voice of God. And I just want to put in a plug this morning for all of us. Don't neglect the Old Testament. Okay, I know it is easy for us to maybe just want to spend time in the New Testament. And maybe the Psalms and the Proverbs. But let me tell you the Old Testament is every bit the inspired, inerrant, authoritative word of God as much as the New Testament is. So as a Bible student, don't neglect the Old Testament. And as we go through this book, we will see many allusions and references to the Old Testament. Now, it's interesting that long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke. And if you are familiar with the Old Testament, you will understand what's being said here. The Old Testament is comprised of many different types of literature. The Old Testament is comprised of symbols, of foreshadowings, of types of Christ, of types of things that are to come. Some of the Old Testament is narrative. Some is poetry. Some is law. Some is doctrinal. Some is ethical and moral. Some is warning, and some is encouragement. Long ago, at, in many, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. But a major way that God spoke was through the prophets. A huge portion of the Old Testament, is made up of prophecies, of the prophets. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. It's not only the prophets, but the prophets make up a big part of it. We have what are known as the major prophets, like Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. We have the minor prophets, which are books like Hosea and Amos and Malachi. And by the way, just so it is clear to everyone, they are not minor because they are less important. They are called minor prophets simply because their content is shorter. But they are as important, equally important as the major and there are other prophets. Samuel, in the Old Testament, was a prophet. Elijah was a prophet. Elisha was a prophet. So, long ago, in the Torah, in the Old Testament, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Well, that brings us to our second point this morning. God's son. In the last days, God has spoken in one way through one person, his son, Jesus Christ. In the past, he spoke many times in many ways, but not now, not now. In the last days, God has spoken in one way through one person, his son, Jesus Christ. In verse 2, it says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. But in these last days, what does that mean? In these last days. And actually, just to be intellectually uh, upfront and honest with you, um, some people take this in different ways. They're all very similar, but there are different thoughts. Some think that the term, the last days, refers to the classical use of that term in the New Testament, the entire time from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ. That in the last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Others see this as referring to the last days of God's progressive unveiling of spiritual truth of his word of scripture what we would call progressive revelation or the unfolding of God's revelation which went to and stopped with the book of revelation that in these last days of God completing the canon of scripture completing The full scripture that we have today in these last days, God spoke to us by his son. Now, there is a third view and the one that I prefer. And that is that the last days here in the context of the entire book of Hebrews refers to the time when Messiah has come. That Jesus is the Messiah and he has come. He is the fulfillment of all those prophecies. He is the fulfillment of all those types and all those symbols and all those foreshadowings. So in though everyone in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus, pointed to the cross, pointed to his resurrection, pointed to his ultimate victory. Now the person in which that is all fulfilled and embodied has come. And it is Jesus himself. But in these last days, in the time of Messiah, he has spoken to us by his Son, So Jesus is the fulfillment, the finality of everything that was prophesied and foretold and pictured in the Old Testament. And think about it, folks. All of those sacrifices over and over and over again were pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus. They were, but now he has come. And the whole New Testament is centered around Christ. The Gospels tell his story. The epistles are a commentary on Jesus. And the book of Revelation is a description of his triumph and his victory. From beginning to end, the New Testament is Jesus Christ. From Matthew to the end of Revelation, the New Testament is Jesus Christ. No prophet had ever been given God's whole truth. The Old Testament was given to many men in bits and pieces and fragments. But Jesus brought God's full and final revelation. Now that doesn't mean that the New Testament is more inspired than the Old. I have already said it isn't. They are equally inspired. But one was looking forward. The New Testament is the fulfillment of all that was foretold in the Old Testament. Then the writer of Hebrews tells us why the son, S-O-N, why he has spoken to us finally and only through his son. Because this son is somebody Very, very special. It says, whom he appointed heir of all things. If Jesus is the son of God, then he is the heir, the inheritor of all that God possesses. And when I say everything, I mean everything. Everything that exists will find its true meaning only When it comes under the final control of Jesus Christ. Folks, that's why we long for heaven. It is. Because that's when we are going to see everything truly brought to fulfillment in Christ. That's why we look so anxiously and so long for and say, How long, O Lord, before you return? And make things right because he is the inheritor, the heir of all things. All things find their fulfillment in him. And when I say he will inherit everything, I don't just mean everything on the earth. I mean everything in the universe. Everything in all of existence. Psalm 2 is a fascinating psalm. I love Psalm 2 verses 8 and 9. This is the Father speaking to the Son. And He says, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Oh, the Father says to the Son, I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. But that's just one example. He will not only inherit everything on this earth, he will inherit the moon, the stars, the sun, the galaxies. And if you go to the book of Ephesians, it tells us he will inherit everything in the spiritual forces in the spiritual realm, all powers, all authorities, all kingdoms, in the spiritual realms which we can't even see and don't know a lot about, but he will inherit everything. But not only is he the one appointed the heir of all things, but through whom also he created the world. And the reason he will inherit all things is because he created all things. John chapter 1 verse 3, we read this when Pastor Mike had us read together this morning. John chapter 1 verse 3, all things, notice that, all things were made through him, through Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. I don't think you can be any more comprehensive than that. Colossians 1.16, just a great verse. If you're not familiar with it, this sums it up perhaps better than any verse in Scripture. Colossians 1.16, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Amen? Amen. He is the creator of all things. I remember years ago, it's been quite a few years ago, I preached through the book of Colossians. And I came to this verse and preached on it. And had one of our men, an older man, longtime member of this church, faithful, faithful member of this church, he's now home with the Lord, but he came and talked to me after the service and he was a little troubled by what I said. And he said, he said, I don't know, but I just don't see, I've never thought of, he said, Jesus being the one who created the universe. He said, I always thought of that as the role of the father. And then he'd sent his son to be the savior of the world. And I told him, I said, we all need to understand that if you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and you see God speaking all of creation into existence, all three members of the triune Godhead, all three members of the Trinity are equally participating And I want to make that clear to all of us this morning. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all were equally involved in the creation of the world, in the creation of the universe. Well, then the writer of Hebrews tells us Jesus Christ is fully God in every way. And displays the glory of God in a perfect and personal way for all of us to see. The reason he's the heir of all things, the reason he's the creator of the world, the creator of the universe, is because he is God. Verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And folks, that simply means... But he is fully God in every way. This is an important verse, a significant verse. Hebrews 1.3 on the full deity of Jesus Christ. He isn't a lesser God. He is God. He is fully God in every way. He is the exact imprint of his nature which simply means he is God in all of his fullness. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says it so well. For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. All the fullness of deity is Jesus himself. A couple of verses that aren't on the screen but John 1:14. Think of that verse. The word, the logos Jesus Christ, the word of God, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory as of the one and only who came from the father full of grace and truth. Think of John chapter 14. Philip, curious, says to Jesus in the upper room, he says, Lord. Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Philip was trying to understand, oh, just show us God is what he's saying. He said, Jesus, just show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. John fourteen nine. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father. Boy, let that one little sentence in that verse be etched in your minds. Anyone who has seen me, anyone who has seen Jesus, has seen the Father. And then it says, And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Wow. Jesus. Is upholding the whole universe by his word. That's what it says. By the power of his word, he is holding everything together. The Greek word for uphold means to support, to maintain. And it's used here in the present tense, implying a continuous action. He is continually upholding the universe. By the word of his power. Everything in the universe is sustained right now by Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ withdrew the word of his power even for one minute, the whole universe would fall apart. The whole universe would fall apart if he was not upholding it by the word of his power. That's our Lord. That's our Savior. And then it says, after making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Oh, what a sentence. We're going to explore this a lot more as we go through the book of Hebrews. But he made purification for sins. He died as our substitute, as the final sacrificial lamb of God he died in our place thoroughly and completely paid for our sins and then rose victoriously and gloriously from the grave overcoming sin and death he made purification for sins that is through him and through him only that we can have forgiveness and the thorough complete cleansing of our sins And then it says this. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So I just want you to think about this. He's appointed heir of all things. It was through him that the world was created. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's the one who died for you. He's the one who died for you. And when he was done, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, the right hand of the throne of God the Father, which is the highest place of authority in all the universe, the highest place of authority in all of existence. He sat down. And this is very significant for two major reasons. There are probably more than two, but two major ones. Number one. When he sat down, it means that there were no more sacrifices to be made. In the Old Testament, the priest sacrificed and sacrificed and sacrificed and sacrificed over and over and over again. Did you know? Did you know that in the Old Testament tabernacle, which eventually became the Old Testament temple, the priests had no seats? Did you know that? There was no place for them to sit down because they constantly were making sacrifices. But when Jesus made his sacrifice, final sacrifice, and Hebrews goes in-depth on this, when he made the final sacrifice, he sat down. No more sacrifices. He's the last, final lamb of God. No more. It is finished. That's number one. Secondly, when he sat down, it represents the fact that he had completely conquered and was victorious over sin and death and Satan. And that means right now, right now, even right now, he is already completely, thoroughly victorious over sin and death And Satan. You know, it was a wondrous work when Jesus created the world. It's wondrous that he sustains the world. It boggles our minds. But an even greater work, an even greater work than making and upholding the world, is that of providing a full and complete payment. For our sins. That is his greatest work. His greatest glory. So let me. Try to bring this all together. I want you to see the logical flow here. Of what the writer of Hebrews. Is saying in. The very introduction to the book. He is saying this. Jesus. Is the final prophet. Through God, Whom God has spoken. Jesus is the creator who made the universe. Jesus is the heir of all things. Jesus is the exact representation of God's glory. Jesus is the upholder of all things. Jesus is the savior who provided purification for sins. Jesus is the great victor, the great conqueror, who sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Therefore, therefore, long ago, At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, but, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He is the final word of God, the fulfillment of all things. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. That in these last days you have spoken to us by your son. He is the radiance of your glory. He is our savior. He is our Lord. He is everything. He is everything to us. Oh Lord. Help every person here. Every person watching by live stream. To fix their eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, in whose name we always pray. Amen.